Well, good morning. I just realized today is the 23rd of June. Man, it's flying by very quickly. But I like the rain. I'm from Vancouver, so I just love, uh, I love rain. I love the smell. I love everything. I want to say uh, welcome to those uh, that, are, uh, that are first time here, new here, and those listening online. Thanks for joining us today. And as Pastor Eldon said, we're in our last week of the Love and War series. And so for the past three weeks, we've been looking at Matthew chapter 18 and uh, some of the questions that were asked of Jesus. And Jesus kind of started with this overall um, uh, treatment on why we have conflict. And so we looked at the question that was asked of him, like, who's the greatest? And he talked about conflict. And uh, when we want something out of relationships, that's when um, we have conflict instead of giving stuff. So we talked about what do you do when and then he kind of narrows it down into what do you do when you actually have to discipline somebody, when somebody's doing something wrong? What do those interactions look like? Last week we looked at like, okay, if something's gone wrong, what does it look like to forgive somebody? How do we move on by forgiving? And then Jesus funnels it down even a little bit more. We're gonna, we finished Matthew 18 last week. We're going to dip our feet into Matthew 19 and just take a look at when conflict comes home and the question that Jesus was asked about divorce. Now, if you um, missed the last few weeks, you can go to cdac.ca slash messages. You can catch up on all those there or listen to your favorite podcast app. And before we get started today, let me say that this is a pretty emotionally charged subject. Some of you have actually heard the word divorce and said, okay, where's the nearest exit? I'm out of here. Um, and uh, a lot of us in this room have been affected by divorce, maybe personally, uh, within our family. Most of us would know somebody that that's a reality um, in their life. But I want you to hang in there today because the goal today isn't to make anybody feel judged or feel bad about their life situation, but encourage because Jesus loves us. Because every time Jesus teaches or answers a question, he's always motivated by love. And I hope you hear that today. And the passage we're going to be looking at is in your notes there. Jesus is being asked about divorce, and he teaches about divorce, but he also takes a much broader perspective. And he teaches about what are healthy relationships and what is our purpose in life. So this morning's message is relevant to all of us if we're married, divorced, if you're single, if you're young or you're old, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus or if you've been a follower of Jesus for your whole life. Because we all want healthy relationships, we all want our lives to have purpose. So if you want to take out your notes in your program, uh, if you want to follow along, along on your phone, you can go to the YouVersion app on your phone, you can click on More, uh, then Events, and you'll see a map and Circle Drive will come up, and you can take your notes electronically there as well. But first I want to ask you a question. This is going to tell me a lot about you people in the room here. By a show of hands, I want to know how fast you think you can go on Circle Drive. Right? The speed limit is 90 on circle drive. Some of you, that might be news to you because you just don't want to know. You don't look at the sign. But how many think you're not going to get a ticket if you go 5 kilometers over, 95 kilometers an hour? You're not going to get a ticket. Okay, how about 10? Okay, 15? I just saw a police officer put his hand down, so now I know. Uh, <laughs> and... Uh, you know, I have some friends that are police officers. The questions they get asked are actually quite funny. And this is one that they get asked a lot. How fast can you actually go on Circle Drive? Because I want to know. Because I want to go that speed all the time. Actually, one kilometer less, and I'll set it right underneath there. But everybody's got their own formula. 
and I think I've never done any police work, but I imagine my police friends would tell us that we're actually asking the wrong question. It's not how fast can I go, it's how can I actually get from where I am now to where I want to go in a safe manner? How can I be a good citizen, not harm myself, not harm others? That's the real question that we should be asking. And over the last three weeks, we've looked at the questions people have been asking Jesus and how his answers often show that we actually misunderstand who Jesus is and what he's trying to do in our world and in our lives. And we finished looking at the proper way to handle relationships in Matthew chapter 18. Now I want to take a look at the three questions that are asked to Jesus in chapter 19 in the first 12 verses. He's asked three questions. I want to take a look at how he responds. So remember we talked about whenever you're looking at the Bible, you're looking at one section of the Bible, you need to know where you are in a larger portion of the Bible, in the whole Bible story. And in the book of Matthew, Jesus is on this road trip going from the north down the south to Jerusalem. He's going there knowing that he will suffer, that he will die. And as he's doing this, he's telling his followers, this is what I want life to look like in this kingdom. And we talked about the kingdom that he's creating by recreating us as people. So this is what it says in the, the notes are at the beginning. Uh, this passage is in the beginning of your notes there. So it starts, it says, Now when Jesus finished these sayings, the things that he said in Matthew 18, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And a large crowd followed him. That's not uncommon. And he healed them there. And the Pharisees came up to him. And whenever you see Jesus and the Pharisees in this part of the story, you're like, oh, this is going to get good where Jesus often had trouble with the Pharisees, these religious leaders that were very black and white thinkers, and like, this is what it says, this is the way life has to be. And, um, and so the Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, and this is the first question, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? They didn't want to know. They were testing him. It says right in there, they're testing him. They want to know who Jesus is, whose side is he on. He's coming down to Jerusalem they were actually sent up to Jerusalem, all these religious leaders, like, when this guy gets here, what is he going to say? What is he going to do? Whose side is he on? Is he on our side or not? And so, it's really interesting that even though the people of Israel were given 613 laws in the Old Testament, started off with the, um, the Ten Commandments, and they built 613 laws around these Ten Commandments so they could know what to do. It's interesting that there's only two laws in, in the Old Testament given on divorce. And it's important when we look at these laws, I'm going to read them here in a second. When we look at these laws, we don't read these laws through a 21st century Canadian lens. These weren't written for 21st century Canadians. They were written for the people of Israel who were living like the people surrounding them in Israel and uh, Egypt. And as they came out of Egypt, they needed these laws because they'd been surrounded by these other cultures and be doing what these other cultures are doing and so all these things were evident in their life, and God told them, like, no, we need to start living differently. So the first one in Exodus 21, 10, and 11, this is the first divorce law in the Old Testament. It says, if he takes another wife, so the husband takes another wife, he shall not diminish her food, her clothing, or her marital rights, which is the Bible's shy way of saying sex. And if he does not do these things, three things for her, she shall go out for nothing without payment of money. So if the husband doesn't um, take care of his second wife, this is what it is, then um, he's, not taking, uh, he's not keeping his end of the bargain. So she can just go and he doesn't have to pay anybody anything. So 
remember, these women were living in a time where they were basically property, okay? Women were to be, but God wanted women to be cared for and protected in marriage. If the husband didn't provide these things, she was free to leave. So this law is actually intended to protect the most vulnerable of the society, women. This was protecting them from abuse where a man couldn't just collect these women and then just neglect them or abuse them. If he wasn't keeping his end of the bargain, she was able to leave. Her leaving didn't end the marriage. It was actually the promises that weren't kept that ended the marriage and she left. The second one is found in Deuteronomy 24, 1-4. It says, When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, that's the, we're going to be looking at that phrase, some indecency in her. And he writes her certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house and she departs out of his house and if she goes and becomes another man's wife and the latter man hates her and writes her certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house or if the latter man dies who took her to be his wife, then her former husband who sent her away may not take her again to be his wife. After she has been defiled, for that's an abomination before the Lord. Yes, that's one sentence. <laughs> and that's a, um, that's a verse about remarriage. But that phrase, if he's found some indecency in her, this is the, the phrase, the small specific phrase that these religious leaders were trying to trap Jesus in. And this is another law that protects the woman. So the law says that if she was married, this guy divorces her. She goes and gets married to this other guy. He divorces her. She can't go back to her first husband. And it's another law to protect the women because women were treated like property. And it was saying, like, you can't treat them like trading cards and just keep bringing them back and, you know, trading and trading. He protected them. So let's take a look at the debate that the religious leaders are trying to get Jesus trapped in. In the first century A.D., in Jesus' time, there are two prominent views on the subject of divorce and remarriage. So there's a... Um, there's a rabbi, his name was Shammai, and he taught that divorce was only allowed if there was adultery in the marriage, if the woman committed adultery. That's the only time. That was the indecency that was found in her. There's another rabbi, a very prominent rabbi, his name was Rabbi Hillel, and he taught that divorce for any reason was permitted. It doesn't matter what it is. If the husband was displeased in any way, he could end the marriage. And that was the interpretation of the phrase, found some indecency, indecency in her. And there's actually lists of things that could be considered indecent. Uh, some of them were if you married somebody and they developed wrinkles where they didn't have wrinkles before. That's indecency. Um, another one was if they burned their supper or they burned their bread. You know, someone burns their supper, that's indecency. You can get divorced. I told Celeste I was going to share this, so don't get mad at me. But if, uh, if this is true, I don't think our marriage would have lasted the first four years. Um, now, Celeste is an excellent cook, an excellent cook. What she is not is a good multitasker, all right? <laughs> so she would cook a lot of great things and then do a lot of other things, and uh, so things would get burnt. But I could have said, you know what? This isn't working out. She burned my food. That's it. So that was the indecency. And so both of these views, they were okay with remarriage after the divorce if it was a legitimate divorce. And so that's what they would debate on. And this is what they would try to figure out. Well, when, you know, what can I get away with? How fast can I go on circle drive? 
when can I divorce my wife? And it shouldn't be a surprise that Rabbi Hillel's any cause interpretation won out in their generation. So at this point, the disciples had grown up with this view that it doesn't matter what it is, as long as you found some indecency in her, you can get divorced. Our culture is quite a bit the same now. We emphasize personal happiness, and if I'm not happy, then that's got to be the reason we end this thing. So what's Jesus' response? So they want to know, Jesus, whose side are you on? Here's Jesus' response. And in, in the notes there, the first one there, it's like, you don't understand the purpose of marriage. That's his response. At this point, everybody had grown up with this teaching that men could divorce for any reason. Marriage was seen as something primarily for the purpose of bringing pleasure to men. That's why they're asking this question. And just like we talked about last week, Jesus takes them right back to the beginning of the Bible. And literally, it's page one in my Bible, he takes them back to Genesis 1, 24. So in our notes here in verse 4, it starts, it says, He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let man separate. And I love how Jesus starts this off with, like, have you not read? Like, he's talking to the religious leaders of the day, and he's like, so you've never read your Bible, is kind of what he's saying to them. So instead of heading to one of these two laws on divorce, where this debate would go round and round on, Jesus takes them to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, and he looks at the creation story and what's, first of all, what's the purpose of our humanity? This is what Genesis 1.27 says. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And so it says God created man. That word man in Hebrew is Adam, which means human. So it says God created humans in his image. He created them, male and female, he created them. So God created humans in his image. And um, how is this the purpose of humanity? See, God created a lot of things. But when he created humans, it says they are created in the image of God. As humans, we're the representation of God here on this earth. We're to reflect God to each other here on earth and to others. And part of that imaging or being a part of, of reflecting God is we get to continue in this creation process that God started. And so, so why does being created human have anything to do with that? Well, there's one species, human, represented in two parts, male and female, and when those two parts come together, another human is created. I hope you're not learning anything right now. Some of you may be having uh, discussions in the car with your kids on the way home. But that's part of the creation process. We get to procreate. And we get to continue that creation process that God started as humans. Now, uh, humans aren't the only species that can do this. All species can do this. Or most species can do this. But Jesus takes them to the next page in my Bible, Genesis 2.24. And so this is the purpose of our humanness, one of the purposes. It says, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. 
So Jesus talks about the purpose of our sexuality, and he talks about the purpose of marriage. There's an idea that two people are going to come together here. One person's going to leave their family. Another person's going to leave their family. They're going to create a new family, and that's the, the blessing that God uh, sent the humans out in, in the Bible story. And they're going to leave their families of origin, and they're going to cling and create these new family units. And so humans have the ability to reflect God by making a covenant promise. By prom Remember that first law we talked about? Like there's things that we promise to do in marriage. We're able to do that. That's something different than other species. We're able to say, you know what? This is us. We're a family. And we're going to move forward together in a permanent relationship with one another. And this is a reflection not only of God himself, who is three distinct persons that make up one person, but also in his covenant relationship to us. So that's a really th quick theology lesson that doesn't do justice to the subject, and a lot more could be said about that. But Jesus is giving them this theology lesson because they're asking the wrong question. They're asking, when can I end my marriage? And Jesus is telling them that they should be asking, what is the purpose of marriage? And how can I have a great marriage? They didn't like that, so they thought they were going to give the teacher a lesson. So in verse 7, they said, Uh-huh, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? This was their gotcha moment. They're telling Jesus, you need to read your Bible. Because Moses said we should give a certificate of divorce. Moses didn't command it, he allowed it. And the further, the further they got away from God's intended purpose of marriage, the more it became about them. So what was Jesus' response? Response number two, he says, your marriages aren't working because of your hard hearts. Verse eight, he said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce. He didn't command you to. He allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. So he takes them back to the beginning. What's the purpose? Jesus stands behind the women again. In fact, he's telling them that the women are not the problem. It's the men and the way that they're viewing marriage are. So instead of keeping their covenant promises to their wives and providing for them, they were being selfish and treating their spouse like property. Marriage was seen solely as something that would satisfy the men. So after bringing them back to the purpose of marriage, Jesus finally weighs in on the debate. Remember they asked um, is it okay for any reason to divorce your wife? Jesus comes back to the debate and he says, and I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. So he says, here's where I stand on your debate. This is what I say. Jesus reinforces the permanence of marriage here and saying that you can't just collect and discard women whenever you feel like it just to make you happy. If you're going to marry, marry for the right reasons, to honor God and to be an image of God and to reflect him into the world. If you want a really good book on marriage, I, I highly recommend a book called Sacred Marriage by Gary Thomas. I think he's one of the best uh, thinkers on marriage in North America right now. And uh, the question that he asks in that book is, what if marriage wasn't designed to make us happy but holy? What if marriage isn't to make us happy, to make us more look more like God? Now, there can be much 
happiness in marriage. <laughs> marriage should not make you unhappy. There should be uh, happiness in your marriage. But just like we talked about last week, the closer a relationship is to you, the greater the potential for pain. So it's not all roses all the time. And if we don't have the right view of marriage, if we think our spouse should fill all of our needs and make us happy, it's really hard to stick through the painful times if they're not meeting that need. It's actually unfair to place your happiness on another person as well. I don't want that kind of pressure. I fail all the time. And if, if Celeste's goal for me is to make her happy, that will happen only sometimes. But there'll be a lot of pain. So let me just say this as well. Um, many people use this verse to say, the only time you can get a divorce is because of adultery. Jesus said it right here. They hold up their Bible and they shake it at you. But this was one debate, one small debate that Jesus was weighing in on. He was answering their question. But some people like to be very black and white and like, nope, I have it right here. But there's other stuff going on. There's other things that Jesus would, would have taught on divorce. And these weren't Jesus' complete thoughts on divorce. These were Jesus' thoughts in regard to this specific debate. Because divorce is always messy. It's rarely black and white. And even when it is, there are real hurting people involved. And for us, especially as religious people, to come alongside and tell people that they're bad, you shouldn't do this, we're just piling on hurt. People, there's hurt all the time. And it's our job to walk with them and love them when we can. And there's still a third question. This time it's from Jesus' disciples. And look what they say. It says, The disciples said to him, If such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. Okay, I know my English. That's not a question. But here's the question. That's a statement. Here's a question that they're asking. Well, if marriage is permanent and I've got things to do, like that I've got to like, work at it, why would anybody get married? And I get this question all the time. If I had time, I'd tell the story of, I was at a hotel and this guy in a hot tub for probably 45 minutes was trying to tell me, like, why would anybody get married? And uh, I was trying to help him, but he didn't want help. Um, but they asked, why would anybody get married? Like, this is hard. This isn't easy. This isn't, like, about my happiness anymore. Because remember, they were brought up with this worldview that was self-serving in regards to marriage, that women were there for the pleasure of men. And if they're thinking, if I'm not allowed to divorce, if this thing goes south, why would I ever get married? I don't want to put any work into this thing. I just want it to be good. Here's Jesus' response, response number three. The kingdom of God should be your goal and not marriage. This is a really interesting response to this question because he starts talking about eunuchs. I'm like, what is Jesus doing here? Why is he talking about eunuchs? Now, we don't talk about eunuchs much anymore. Um, and you may be thinking, what is a eunuch? So here's a little history lesson. Ancient kings uh, and, you know, very rich people in ancient times, they would have many wives. They would collect. Remember we talked about they would just collect women as wives. And so, you know, we have records in the Bible. People had hundreds, thousands of wives and concubines. And uh, 
so obviously you can't look after all these people, so they would hire young men to look after these women. And then they thought like, well, I've got all these women and I'm hiring these young men. I want to make sure nothing happens. <laughs> so they castrate the young men. So this is why it's like really weird. Like why is Jesus talking about castrated workers, basically? He's using the word eunuch here as a metaphor for someone who will not have sex and will not get married. And to them, they're just like, oh, that's weird. Because, okay, so when Jesus talks about the meaning of marriage, he took us back to the beginning of the Bible and show us, showed us how we are all made in the image of God. Male and female were both created in the image of God. Everybody's equal in God's eyes. Then he takes us to Genesis 2.24 and showed us how we can image God when a male and a female get married, start a new family. That's one way of imaging God into the world. But then Jesus tells us that some people are born in such a way that they're not going to have sex and they're not going to get married. They're born eunuchs. Then he says some are made that way by others. But then he says something interesting. Some choose not to. And that's a hard sell in this generation to tell somebody that it's okay to not have sex and not get married. In every generation, actually. This is a shock to them as well. It's just like, well, why would anybody do that? Our generation, like any other generation, tells us that sex is our right, it's our responsibility, and it's the ultimate path to happiness. We don't say that outright, but that's what our culture tells us. You look at any advertising, you look at uh, anything, that's what we are told will bring us happiness. We also say that nobody has a right to actually tell me anything about me or my sexuality because that's me. But if God has a plan for our sexuality, our humanness, and he says, you know, one thing he says, like a man shall leave his father and a mother and the two shall become, that's his plan for our sexuality, for um, our marriage, and that's, Sex should be enjoyed within the confines of marriage, and people have a hard time with that. But if that's God's plan, we should probably try to listen and ask why. And we've talked a little bit about God's, uh, why does God give us laws? Even the laws that we read about, those divorce laws, they were there to protect for those women and provide for those women. And when God tells us to do something, that's what he's doing. He's protecting us from all kinds of hurts, and he's providing us for ultimate relationships. But our culture says that you can't actually be a healthy, happy person if you're not free to have sex with whoever you want. They will say that flat out. No, nobody can tell you anything. But let's take a look who's talking here. This is Jesus who says, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Who's he talking about? Himself. Jesus was never married. He didn't have sex, but yet he was probably the most fulfilled, purposeful, balanced life that anybody has ever lived. So if our culture says that the ultimate way to happiness is through sex, and then church, we don't like talking about sex, actually, so we kind of elevate marriage because that's where that should happen, and we elevate marriage to be the ultimate 
uh, happy place. But what does that do? When we say, like, everybody should be married, what about single people? What about divorced people? What about people who are attracted to the same sex? They feel like outcasts. Like, I'm not welcome there. I'm, a, I'm actually a second-rate citizen. And I've talked to enough single people who have talked about this. It's like, church isn't built for me. It's built for married people. And I really hope you don't feel that way here at Circle. But getting married is only one way to reflect the image of God. We can all image God by being a part of what God is doing in the world listening to him, letting him guide us. And we can be a part of that new world that God is creating by recreating us. As we let him take control of our lives, we can image him better. So not everyone has to get married. And Jesus was the first religious leader to elevate singleness. Out of all the religious leaders there ever were, he's he said, it's okay to get married. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul said, it's okay to be single. Actually, it's better to be single. You can do more things for God if you're single, is what the Apostle Paul says. So what do we do with this? Married or single, we need to seek God first and his kingdom to find fulfillment in all our relationships. If we tie up the series on relationships, we're seeking God first, he ends up cleaning up the relationships. Matthew 6, earlier on in the book of Matthew, says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Wanting to be in a relationship is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. But it's not the ultimate thing. Our ultimate happiness doesn't come from sex or from marriage. Our ultimate happiness can only be found in God, and that's where that wholeness comes in. So we need to seek God first in all our relationships. Okay, so how do we do that? Now what? This takes us all the way back to the question that we started with in week one. Do you remember Jesus' followers were asking, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? The disciples were essentially thinking, okay, if I'm in this relationship with God, what can I get out of it? And as long as we're in relationships and we're asking, what's in it for me? We're always going to have conflict and we're always going to be disappointed. Jesus teaches us that the right question is, what can I give or what can I do to be a part of God's kingdom here on earth? So even when he teaches about divorce, he's teaching us that as we let him change us to be the people that he created us to be, we will have a better understanding of how to be in healthier relationships and we will treat each other better within those relationships. And again, Jesus is the ultimate example of this. Even as he's speaking, he's on his way to Jerusalem to suffer the things, suffer for the things that we've done wrong. He wasn't concerned with what he was going to get. He was concerned about us, and he was concerned what he could do to usher in this kingdom of God. What was his motivation? It was love. And what was his advice? Don't look out for yourself. In fact, seek God first and his kingdom, that's how you'll be in right relationships. And you'll find purpose and fulfillment. So how do we do that? Strengthen your relationship with God and others and build communities around you. How do we do that? There's a song we used to sing in Sunday school. 
when I was really little. It said, read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. I thought that's such a simple song, but yet it's true. If we want to strengthen our relationship with God, learn how to read the Bible. Learn how to pray and not just talk to God. Learn how to listen to God so he can teach us. Learn how to be silent before him. And invite others into your journey. So if you're married, if you are married, don't wait until you have to ask this question, when can I get a divorce? If you're married, strengthen your marriage now. Do the things to grow together in oneness. So we have marriage mentoring here at Circle. If you, we have experienced couples that are willing to come alongside other couples to ask them, to guide them through 14 different conversations. It's a lot of fun. It's once a month. You just get together with them. So I highly encourage that. We have the marriage course. Uh, it'll be running next year. But we have the marriage course. Um, and you guys can just, the two of you, work through things together. If you're divorced, or if you're going through a divorce, please go to divorce care. I know so many people, it's changed their life because they realize other people are hurting. And I get to journey through life with them. And I've seen the friendships that have been made there and the wholeness and the healing that that's brought. And whether or not you're married or not, invite people into your life. Become part of a circle group. One of the things, when I left last week, I got this sheet of paper. I think you're going to get one on the way out the door too. It's opportunities to serve here at Circle. And I counted up. There's 65 things on this list that you could do. Well, infinite, because there's one that says other. And some of the stuff on the list is, yeah. Basically, anything that you like doing, how can you do that to be a part here? You know, a lot of us get closer to God uh, we have a serving pathway, I call it, to God. As we do things for others, then we feel like, oh, I'm doing something for God, and this is how I connect with God. And uh, so I encourage you to take a look at that list and say, well, what can I do? I think Stephanie's story was such a great example of this. Out of a life of pain, she surrounded herself with other people in an expanding uh, circle of people that love her. It brings health and wholeness to all of our relationships. So let's start asking Jesus the right questions. How can I draw closer to you? And how can I serve others? I like this quote. I'll end with this. No one has ever found happiness by seeking it for himself. Let me pray. God, we thank you that you do love us. Everything you teach us and tell us is out of love. And we pray, Lord, that we would experience that love by knowing you more and that we would be able to share that love with others by letting you work through us. So where there is hurt and pain in our relationships, Lord, would you step into our lives and heal us and bring others around us to bring wholeness. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.